Miss Marlene has our special this morning.
But uh, moving forward is what I want to speak to you on. If you came in, you uh, you got a bulletin. Uh, <clears throat> we want to think about, and something shrunk there, move my D. <laughs> and, uh, but so many times we don't think about, uh, you know, we, we don't realize that we've come to a stop. We don't realize that we've come to a pause. We can become stagnant in our faith. And thinking about moving forward, a lot of times we don't move because we get in a comfort zone. Uh, Perry, I think there's a picture of a fish, and uh, sometimes we have to literally get out of our comfort zone if we want to move forward. You may have to try something that uh, you've never done before in order to move forward in your faith. If you don't, uh, if you haven't had a chance to speak to someone about your faith uh, in a while, I'm giving you an opportunity. Uh, these outreaches that we're having, these uh, inviting people to Vacation Bible School, uh, we'll, uh, I'll get with Denise and we're going to have some flyers and some forms and maps uh, since we are five and a half miles out of town. And did you know there are probably some people in Ashley County that don't know where Promised Land is? Y'all know that? <laughs> there may be somebody that doesn't know. We need to let them know we're open for business. And God is still in the soul-saving business. He's in the life-changing business. So sometimes it may take a great leap of faith just to say, I'm moving forward. I want to move forward with my faith. One verse of Scripture, that, or a couple of verses of Scripture that we all start out with this morning in 1 Kings chapter 19 1 Kings chapter 19, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 Kings 19 and verse 19, the Word of God says this, So he departed thence and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. Now that's a that's a big John Deere tractor right there. You got 12 yoke of oxen. That's a John Deere tractor. And uh, he was with the 12th, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? In other words, I'm not holding you back. And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. May we always be moving forward, as your word says, reaching forth unto those things which are before and pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing and uh, for that portion of reading God's Word. Moving forward. Uh, now, sometimes moving forward entails this idea. We, we get the idea of moving forward, well, uh, that, well, we're not, if you're moving forward, you're not sitting still. And in churches today and in life, Sometimes we can think, well, you know what? 
I've, I've just gotten stagnant. It's gotten stagnant, and it's just not uh, something's missing. A lot of times because we've gotten comfortable or we've got standing still, we've gotten stagnant in our faith, we're not trying anything new for the Lord. You know, and so many of those things, they, they happen before we realize it. And so many times, uh, we, I have a, uh, and I, and I want to go back real quick to Wednesday night service. You, if you weren't here for our Wednesday night services, Brother Darren Hopper, uh, was, he was already scheduled to speak. I was supposed to be gone. And, uh, he was, uh, uh and he brought a great message. And it was talking about, uh, talent and effort. And he was talking, he used a baseball analogy. And so, and I encourage you, if you don't normally come on Wednesday nights, uh, we got a lot going on. And so even, even during the summer, we have some great classes. Anyway, he did a great, he said, man, he had a baseball team loaded with talent, but they were showing no effort. And we get stagnant. Many of us have all the talent and all the resources that we need, but we're not putting forth the effort that we should. And thinking about that, uh, we need to realize letting God have it all. I want to, just that first point real quick, and that is what I call burn the plow. You know, your plow could be what may be holding you back. In other words, this is uh, what I'm comfortable with. This plow is what I've grown up with. This is what I'm used to in my life. And so Elisha, Elisha is basically being called to service. He's being called to do something for God. And sometimes you have to let go of your plow. Basically, they had a barbecue. <laughs> he, he said, he says in our King James Bible, it says he took the instruments and he had a fire and they boiled the flesh and guess what? Everybody's eating. <laughs> He said, we're going to have a big send-off, and we've done that before, even here at Promised Land. We've had fellowships, we've had send-offs, we support missionaries. But sometimes we don't work for the Lord because we're hanging on to our plow. Basically, he says, you know what? This used to be my occupation. <laughs> I've got all these oxen, all these plows, all these farm implements, all these instruments. I'm burning them. I'm selling out. I'm moving forward because God has called me to do something and so guess what? There's no turning back because there's no farm left. There's no instruments left. The John Deere tractors is gone. This is, and I'm basically I'm saying, I'm giving all I have to Jesus. And you know what he asked for? And God rewarded him because he says, I, I would love a double portion of what Elijah's got. And guess what God gave to Elisha? Those names sound the same, don't they? First one, Elijah. <laughs> the second guy who followed him, Elisha. And so he got a double portion because he asked God and he asked Elijah if he could follow him. There's many uh, things that could be holding us black, back. Your plow may be what chains are holding you to the ordinary. If you, So many times we think, well, this is all there is to a Christian life. If you have an ordinary Christian life instead of an extraordinary Christian life, is because you're hanging on to a plow. You're hanging on to a plow. He asked the disciples the same thing. Arise, follow me. You can keep fishing. You can keep tax collecting. You can keep doing this. You can keep with your old life. You can stay with your old life. You can stay with your old friends or you can come follow me. Are y'all following me? Are you following my train of thought? Sometimes you gotta make a break. Sometimes you gotta make a change. If you're gonna move forward, sometimes you gotta do something different. You gotta, 
Get rid of something that may be holding you back. And I don't know what that is because it's not the same for everybody. It's not the same for something is holding out. No, I like my Christian life where I don't witness to nobody. I come and I watch the preacher work and I say, go get them, boy. And that's all my Christian life is about is watching somebody else do it. But folks, that's not the Christian life God called you or expects you to live. It doesn't expect uh, one person or two people to do it all. Sometimes you got to say, what's holding me back if I'm to move forward for the Lord? There is an old life and a new life, but some people never let go of the old life. Did you know the Bible mentions that over and over? In you know, there's, uh, you can allude to marriage where uh, Genesis 2.24 says leaving the father and the mother and, and moving to, uh, to your wife. And, and so there's a break there from the past. But I've got a long way to go and a short time to get there, so I'm going to move quickly. Head to Romans 6.6. 6. The old man and the new man, the Word of God says this many times. Romans 6.6 6 says this, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So basically it's saying here, we should depart from the way we used to live, the way we used to talk, the way we used to act. And just a little further in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible mentions it here again, Ephesians 4 and 22. And it says this, that you put off concerning the former, and if you have a King James Bible, it says the former conversation, which means your manner of life. The, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. <clears throat> and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put, off, put on the new man which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one another. Just stop there in verse 25 real quick. Basically, why would think about this, and I've shared this before, if Paul, through the Holy Spirit of God, is writing this letter to a church, and he's telling these saved people, stop lying. Think about it. You're saying, uh, all of you, if any of you have had a, a teenage or young child saved, did you all know that just because they're saved doesn't mean they stop torturing their brother or sister. <laughs> and just because your young child gets saved doesn't mean they're not going to backtalk again. Just because your young child gets saved doesn't mean they're going to be perfect from then on. Because guess what? We still live in a, this fleshly, sinful body. We're still going to make mistakes. And so we still have to stop, literally put our mind to it. And I've seen some people get saved and they say, I never had a desire to, to cuss or do drugs or do this again. It just stopped. But some people really struggle because their flesh enjoys it and their old friends tempt them to do something and draw them away. And so here, even in the Bible, these are saved church members. And he's saying, hey, now you need to, it's time to put on the new man. It's time, which basically means this, you're saved. Jesus Christ is in you. Listen to him. <laughs> Listen to him. He's convicting you and guiding you. And so you know what's the, what is right to do. And then it says, all right, and uh, it was in verse 25, verse 26, Be angry, sin not. Let not the sun go down of your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. This is weird. 
He's telling church members, stop lying and stealing. Oh, you know why? Because they had a bunch of thugs coming to church. Hey, if you know a thug, invite them to church, okay? If you know some person out here that's living like the devil, okay, bring them to church with you. They need Jesus, amen? So they got lying, stealing people in church. And guess what? They need the Lord. And they got saved, and he's saying, okay, now it's time to roll up your sleeves. It's time to go to work. Let's put on our steel-toed boots, and let's get after it for Jesus. I mean, so many times we say, well, somebody else needs to be bold. Well, we all need to be bold for the Lord and share our faith. Tell people to have some guts for Jesus. Tell people about Him. If you truly love Jesus, you will. And then it says, Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Probably the number one sin in our church. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You're saying, whoa, Brother Margaret, you're, you're stepping on toes now. Well, I'm aiming for your heart. Okay? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Probably the most deceitful thing about any church member is a lot of times, you know, we say we, we can get it with that's one that's acceptable sin is I can talk bad about others. I can put down others. I can run somebody down. I can, t- I can just tell them, but I, but I don't have enough guts to go tell them myself. You know, but let, it's what the Bible says. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Be big enough to apologize. Be big enough to forgive. Be big enough and bold enough to love other people, even people that you don't care for. Love them, the Bible says. And then it says in verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath so and anger... Verse 32, and be ye kind, and you can tell I'm in shifting gears, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake. Which that, that just tells me a lot of things about he's asking these church members at Ephesus to, hey, you know, hey, stop doing this, stop doing this, and then be kind and considerate. Be kind. You know, that's a big word that's hard to do. Just be kind to people. Just be kind to people, forgiving, tender-hearted, compassionate to others. And that's the old man. We don't have time for Colossians. You can read that on your own. And then if you go to, uh, 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 excuse me, get the right book, Deuteronomy chapter 1. I'm calling, talking about getting out of Egypt. I like the way, I just not original with me, I like the way one preacher said it. So I typed it up and put it on my, on my slide and Perry can find it for you. Folks, <laughs> In Deuteronomy chapter 1, and verse 2 and 3, it says it's uh, 11 days' journey from the mountain to Kadesh Barnea. And it came to pass in the 40th year they made it. <laughs> That's redneck uh, version, okay? Which means it's 11 days' journey, and how long did it take them? 40 years. Why? Because they were hard-hearted. They were hard-headed more than they were hard-hearted, <laughs> They were hard-headed. Listen, it took. God, listen to this. This is a quote. It took God one night to get them out of Egypt, but it took forty years to get Egypt out of them. Hmm. You can get saved in one moment, but sometimes it, to let go of the old man, to let go of the way you used to act, the way you used to be. Sometimes that, that can take a while for people. 
Now I'm just going to behave the way I've always, always behaved, but it's definitely not the God the way God would want us to behave. It took one night for God to get Israel out of Egypt, but 40 years. And then, but it's something that they couldn't move forward. Now it says that in Deuteronomy chapter one that it was 11 days journey. Well, they wandered around, basically wandering in circles for 40 years. We know the story. I love the way the writer of the book of Hebrews describes this, which tells me that I need to get out of Egypt. I don't know what your Egypt is, but just like all of us have a plow that we need to let go of, a plow, something we need to burn, we need to say, I don't need that in my life anymore. Or you may need to leave a location. Now, it may not be a physical location. It could be something that I need to let go of. I need to let God get this out of me. Do you understand what I'm saying when it took God 40 years to get Egypt out of them? Because they, but they didn't believe God. They didn't trust God. They wouldn't, when God said, hey, it's time to get up, they said no. And they, they wouldn't go. That's what it describes in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 15. <clears throat> While it is said today, if you will hear His voice, before I finish reading verse 15, could this be a verse for any church, including, let's go ahead and listen and say, well, that's talking about somebody else. <laughs> that ain't talking about me. Let's go ahead and make this verse apply to us, Promised Land, here this morning. Today, if you will hear His voice, Harden not your hearts. And when it says, as in the provocation, it just means the day that you remember when so-and-so didn't listen. And of course, he was referring to their forefathers in Egypt. Keep reading. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. Verse 17. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it just... Was he grieved? Was he was God making it up? Was there anybody he was upset with for forty years? Yeah. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom share he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see look at verse nineteen, don't lose this one, because if you lose this one you lose this whole point. So we see that they could not enter in because why? Because of unbelief. God told them next in Deuteronomy it's time, it's time to go in. Well, lastly, I want to deal with this point here. And that is a changed life. If you want to live a changed life, if you want to live a changed life, you must be saved. There's some people that don't ever live a, a, a changed life because they're not saved. That's a duh moment. You know, have you ever heard somebody say, well, duh. <laughs> That's a duh moment. If I'm going to live a changed life, because listen, if you are wanting to live a changed life, and if you're not saved, you know what you're doing? I'm just going to break my old habits. If you're not saved and you're changing your life, you're just breaking bad habits. Yes, sir, Brother Michael, you're right. I, 
I need to stop cussing and I need to stop drinking. I need to be a better role model and I need to do these things. And if you try to do those things without Jesus, you're just breaking habits. Folks, He wants to change your life on the inside. Because a true change happens inside. Okay? And a lot of times we miss that. And uh, <clears throat> real quick, go to Luke chapter 7. Now, I've got a big listing of Scripture there. This is giving your old life to Jesus. Luke 7, this is the woman. She was a prostitute. And she had this big bottle of perfume. And, uh, and you know what she did with it? And, of course, if we read another story and read everything, we find out that this was a very expensive bottle of perfume. I mean, this is... Uh, uh, Chanel number of whatever. <laughs> and this is on up there, alright? This is a big, nice, fancy bottle of perfume, okay? I don't even know the number, so, and don't ask me. But, uh, and, you know, this is all that, this, she had a big bottle of perfume worth a year's wages. And you know what she said? I don't need it anymore. Matter of fact, I'm gonna give it to the Lord. And, in Luke 7, 37, it says this. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, and she knew that Jesus sat at meat. In other words, he's fellowshipping in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And she stood at his feet behind him, weeping, began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. She gave it all away. There was a lot of people that were upset about that. So she gave her old life. She knew a different direction. Basically, when she, when she took that bottle of perfume and she gave it all to him, she said, Jesus, take my plow. And I, here's my Egypt. I, get, I don't need this Egypt in me anymore. You have changed my life. There's another fellow in Luke 19, the story in uh, verse 8, I believe it is. New direction. He goes from stealing to restoring. And of course, you know the story of Zacchaeus. Basically, a new direction. What is my sermon title? Moving forward. But a lot of us got, we got the, we got it in park or neutral. <laughs> you know, we can rev the engine, honk the horn. My son just got a, uh, <clears throat> this boom boom radio in his truck. Okay. You can, you can hear him. So it, it'll be Christian music booming in his truck. But, uh, you know, you got all that and you got all this, this, this boom boom and you got all this and totally, totally, you think about him, he could take that, use it for honor, and I'm going to give it to Jesus. And you know what Zacchaeus says? I'm going to give this to Jesus. I'm going to give this to the Lord. Let him have it. If I've, so he goes from stealing to restoring. He wanted to give it to him. <clears throat> There's a revival that took place in a little church called Ephesus. This is a neat thing. And I want to show you some people that got changed. That's two examples real quickly here. In the book of Acts 19 is another example of some people that got changed. They had all this stuff. They were real big into the occult. And it says that uh, in Acts 19.19, 19, And many of them also which had curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. 
Somebody added that up in today's dollars, and that was that would be about uh, $3.7 million. It took it, and they burned all this stuff. They said, I don't need it anymore. It's a changed life. Verse 20 is the result. So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. <clears throat> even if you read the previous verses, we find out that even the devil was noticing and uh, what was going on. There was a demon said, uh, Jesus I know, and Paul, verse 15, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? <clears throat> I ran across a story. Now, this changed life. Promised Land is doing some amazing things. Uh, we've got a sports ministry that's uh, been a blessing to us. We've got our Awana uh, ministry that's been a blessing to us. Literally and truly, uh, in many of our things that we're doing, we've run out of room. Even on Sunday morning, a lot of times it gets crowded. And I'm thankful we've been blessed. But folks, in order to keep it going, in order to see God approve, we need to stay moving forward. Amen? We need to keep moving forward for the Lord. And so many times we think about moving forward. It, it takes sacrifices. It takes a leap of faith. It takes something and doing more for Jesus and more for the Lord. But so many times we get used to and comfortable with where we are. Uh, it's all worth it. Just like our campers getting saved, it's worth the sacrifice. It's worth the offerings. It's worth the time. It's worth giving to our young people because we see changed lives. Sometimes some people get saved and they backslide for years. But folks, if they truly know Jesus, I think and with all my heart, God's still working on them. God's still working in their life and in their heart if they know the Lord. Share this story about a couple of missionaries. Nearly a hundred years ago, the Philadelphia church in Stockholm, Sweden, sent two missionary couples to the Congo. Of course, that's Africa. David and Sevilla Flood, along with Joel and Bertha Erickson, macheted their way through the jungle to establish a mission point. During their first year, they didn't see a single convert. The village was resistant to the gospel because they were afraid of offending the tribal gods in the area. But that didn't keep Sevilla from sharing the love of Jesus with a five-year-old boy who delivered fresh eggs to their back door every day. Sevilla became pregnant not long after arriving, but she was bedridden during much of the pregnancy, battling malaria. And she gave birth to a baby girl, Anna. April 13, 1923. But Sevilla died 13 days later. David made a casket and buried his 27-year-old wife on the mountainside overlooking the village. Grief and bitterness flooded his heart, and David gave his daughter Anna to the Ericsons. Returned to Sweden in his dashed dreams and broken heart, and he drowned his pain for the next five decades in sorrow, drink. And he forewarned everyone not never to mention God's name in his presence again. Became hard-hearted. The Ericsons raised Anna until she was a toddler, 
And both of them died within three days of each other when the villagers poisoned them to death. Anna was given to an American missionary couple, Arthur and Anna Berg. The Bergs renamed their adopted daughter Agnes, but they called her Aggie. And they eventually returned to America to pastor a church in South Dakota. And after high school, Aggie enrolled in North Central Bible College in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and she met and married a, a fellow student, Dewey Hurst. And they started a family of their own and served a number of churches together. And Dr. Hurst became president of Northwest Bible College. And on their 25th wedding anniversary, the college gave the Hurst a special gift, a trip to Sweden. But Aggie's sole purpose was going to find her biological father who abandoned her 50 years earlier. And on the last day before their departure, they had almost gotten, they had given up. They got a tip that led to the third floor of a ramshackle apartment building. There they found Aggie's dad who was on his deathbed with a failing liver. The last words David Flood ever expected to hear, Papa, it's Anna. And the first words out of his mouth were filled with remorse, and he said, I never meant to give you away. When they embraced, a 50-year curse of bitterness was broken. A father and daughter were reconciled for eternity. When Aggie landed in Seattle the next day, she received news that her father had passed away while they were in flight. And here's the rest of the story real quick. Five years later, Dewey and Aggie Hurst attended a conference in London, England. 10,000 delegates from around the world gathered at Prince Royal Albert Hall. One of the speakers on the opening night was a man by the name of Rujita Negadora the superintendent of a church and school in Zaire, Africa. And what caught Aggie's attention was the fact that Regita was from the same region where her parents had been missionaries the half century before. After the message, Aggie spoke to him through an interpreter, and she asked if he knew of the village where she was born, and Regita told her that he had grown up in that village. And she asked if he knew of the missionaries by the name of Flood, of course, David and Sevilla Flood, which was her parents. Every day I'd go, and he said, every day I would go to Sevilla Flood's back door with a basket of eggs, and she would tell me about Jesus. I don't know if she had a single convert in all of Africa besides me. Shortly after I accepted Christ, Sevilla died and her husband left. She had a baby girl named Anna, and I've always wondered what happened to her. When Aggie revealed that she was Anna, Regita started to sob. They embraced like siblings separated since birth. Just a few months ago, I placed flowers on your mother's grave on behalf of the hundreds of churches and the thousands of believers in Zaire. I want to thank you for letting your mother die so that many of us could live. Which begs to answer the question, is it all worth it? Is it worth it to sacrifice, to tell others about Christ, to keep moving forward and giving, doing all we can to reach Ashley County,
there's a young girl in Ashley County needs Jesus. And there's a young boy somewhere else in this county that you're going to tell about one day. And you're going to share. And say, they came to know Christ because I sponsored a kid to go to church camp. They came to know Christ because Brother Michael asked me to stand in a hot parking lot and pass out flyers. And I sweated for four hours. But I invited 33 people to Bible school. Only two came. But one of those two got saved. What will be your story and your testimony of moving forward and trying something you've never tried? For the Lord, as we prepare for Him, invitation. Would you tell the Lord this morning? Yes, I will try. I want to do more for Him. Maybe do something I've never done before. Let's pray, Father. I thank you for this time. This just this celebration we've already had this morning. What a worship service. I praise you for our guests and our visitors. I pray that something that's been said and done this morning has touched someone's heart. That we see that this, this, this contrast in your word of people that have left their old life and moved on to a new life. We see that it is our example. It is something you ask us to do. And through your strength, your power, and your grace is the only way it truly can be done. Or else it's just breaking a habit. May we draw closer to you this morning. May we move forward for you. In Jesus' name, amen.